and welcome to episode 68 of the Animal Addicts podcast. As always, we're your host, Allie. And Casey. And today we're going to talk about a whole new assortment of awesome animals. But before we get into that, um, what have you been up to, Casey, since last I saw you? So, this past five days, I've been pet-sitting for my aunt and uncle. Okay. Because they are once again on vacation, and I swear they go on vacation more than anyone else. Are I they know. retired? or No. Oh, damn. Go then. Do yeah. they have kids? Not that live with them. Oh, I was like, that's why they don't yeah, all the, go. Yeah, both their kids are married and on their Grown own. Grown and, okay. That's who they were visiting, actually. What kind of pets do they have? Just a dog. Oh, okay. Yeah, her name's Embry. She's a pit boxer mix. Ooh, does yeah. she have her tail? Yeah, she does. Does it murder you when it hits you? <laughs> Yep. Yeah, it can pack a punch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's one yeah. of those that'll, that'll kill. Yeah. Does she also do the, like, pity, like, her mouth is open, excited, and then her teeth catch you and, like, rip I have not up? have that happen. Oh, that's good. Yeah. She's an older dog, so oh, she's helps. pretty calm. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Especially with Boxer and Pity. Oh, my God. Two mm-hmm. super high-energy dogs. Yeah. Oh. She was in a... Hi, Tiger Lily. <laughs> Where is she? I hear her. <laughs> she is. Um, sorry, folks. Probably not going to edit that out. Let's be honest. <laughs> the cat has emerged. She kept herself hidden until we hit record. <laughs> Literally, she has not made herself known until right now. And now she's going to make noise. Yep. Tiger Lily is joining us today. So sorry, everyone. So continue, Casey. Yes. So, yeah, because she's an old dog, it's pretty easy. She doesn't really have the energy to play or anything. So she just chills around. Just need to make sure she doesn't bark at the neighbors because apparently they've complained, which makes no sense to me because there's another neighbor whose dog literally barks all day long. And it's like, how do they not complain about that dog? Was it farther away? Yeah, but not by much. Weird. She immediately started trying to eat the new cable. That's why I was panic unplugging things. I gotcha. So, yeah. Hang on a second before you continue. I gotta unplug this. Because she literally immediately started trying to eat it. It's going to be hard for me to return it. Swear your cat has pica. But she doesn't eat it. She just breaks it. I shouldn't say she eats it. She just chews it until it breaks and then she walks away. Ah. Okay, this is going to be a lovely one for me to edit anyway. Okay, continue. So yeah, I finished that up today before I came here. And I also... (laughs) So my family had... We always make lists for each other for Christmas presents and stuff. So and my brother's philosophy is like if it doesn't have a link, you, it doesn't exist, and you won't get it. <laughs> wow, he's not going brick and mortar at all. Yeah, no. So um, I put a link to these predatory, these carnivorous plants I want. Um, oh, a Venus flytrap, specifically the red dragon variety, and the red um, cape of sundew. What happens if you stick your finger in a Venus flytrap? Does it, will, it try to close? Yeah, it will try to close. Hmm, oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Don't do it, though, because if you do that too often, it will die. Right. It'll hurt the yep. plant. Mm-hmm. I'd so, want yeah. to do it one time and record it yeah. and be like, it's eating me. <laughs> yeah. And um, so he got those for me. They came in. Then he saw the instructions for, like, when what to do with them. Is like, I'm not doing this. It's too much work. <laughs> Here's a your early person. You figure it oh, out. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, those are set up now um, at my home. I have to make sure they're alive when I get back. <laughs> Because <laughs> I now ha- had to rely on my family to take care of my animals and plants. Does it take a lot to take care of those plants? No, it's just um, 
need to make sure they get a lot of sunlight. Mm-hmm. They're outdoors and they need to be in a place where they're not exposed to too much wind. Oh, okay. Yeah, which was very, <laughs> which was very much an issue the past uh, week because oh it was downpouring. It was raining and oh, yeah. windy. Was I had so them out awful. for a little bit. Is like because you have to use special water with them because where they are, it's really wet, so minerals get washed away a lot, mm. and so they need water with very little minerals. Hmm. So. Rainwater is good. Distilled water and reverse osmosis water. So I figured I'll leave them out so they can get rainwater. Uh, and then it's and like they got drenched. Right, yeah, I brought them in because it was just raining too hard. Yeah, and it was very windy. Even when I put them up against the uh, house, then I put a rain bucket out a bucket outside to collect rainwater. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Just to drink for yourself or for the plant? For the for plants. Later. Okay. Yeah. That way I have to make less trips to the grocery store. Yeah. Spend less money. Yeah. Be less I want to eventually get a reverse osmosis filtration system set up to one of my sinks. Because hmm. then when I eventually get a salt water tank one day, I could use it for that and for these plants. Nice. Yes. But I don't know when I will buy one. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how I've been. All right. Nice, nice. She's uh, checking you out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's crazy sorry everybody Tiger Lily. So Tiger Lily is being um, disruptive right now also I should say this is not what I was going to talk about but <laughs> we'll be going to Arizona by the time this airs I will be in Arizona and we will have made this trip and get to deal with her loveliness again so this time we drug her first we know we know the setup we need this time mm-hmm. hopefully how is this ride going to go Tiger Lily are you going to cooperate this time or is it going to be awful hmm <laughs> You are in control of how awful this ride is going to be. Also, when I can't eat and drink normally. So, my ride's already going to be awful. Anyway, speaking of that, though. (laughs) So, a couple episodes ago, whatever. um, I talked about how they want me to do a colonoscopy. And it got scheduled for March 31st. And Uh I was like, what is even the fucking point? So, then they call me. And they're like, we actually just had one open up for Monday, and it was super last minute, so I was like, I'll see if I can get it off work, um, which I did. So I've had a colonoscopy now, too. Endoscopy and colonoscopy, fun fun times, and a sinus surgery this year. This has been a great year for me mm-hmm. with medical stuff. Super fun. Anyway, um, got a colonoscopy. Still no definitive answers. Yeah. Yeah. So they have something they think I might have, which when I started to look into it, um, looks like it's very much caused by acid blockers, which I've been <laughs> on for three months. So I'm like, this is a new problem that uh, didn't exist before. And I'm pretty sure that's what did it. It's that. And then like another one was like antidepressants, which I was on for over a year, which I've been off now for almost a year. So I'm like, I feel like the antidepressants probably set me up in a bad way. And then being on acid blockers for three months probably kicked this in. So I'm like, oh, now I have two problems instead of one problem. Yeah. So eating is a fucking nightmare. So at this point, I talked to her when she talked to me to go over things. And I was just like, look, if I eat stuff I'm not supposed to eat, am I going to set myself back in healing? Or is it like I'm going to feel like shit that day? Because if I'm going to feel like shit that day, fuck it. I'm going to have some, like, Pepto or whatever I can, like, acid reducers, like, oh, yeah, all that kind of stuff with Christmas with it. Christmas is, like, the Christmas dinner. Dude, I didn't get to have Thanksgiving dinner. And, um, That's awful. I know. No mashed potatoes or anything. So, I've been, the last few days, I've been trying a couple things. So, like, one day I tried, like, one of those, like, these size things of Hershey's, you know? Like, I tried one mm-hmm. of those, and that was okay. 
Um, but I'm taking all this stuff with like Pepto immediately because I'm just like, let's just let's just fight it right now. And then um, because she told me now I'm supposed to be taking that every day. Mm -hmm. So in addition, yeah, I'm supposed to take like four of those tablets every night now. Mm. And then um, in addition to the acid blockers, I'm already taking. So now I just take those as I eat things I'm not supposed to. So then I tried because I have this trip coming up to Arizona. I was like, how am I going to drive seven hours with no caffeine in the desert when it's like there's nothing to look at? You know what I mean? Like, and I'm not going to talk with my grandma that much. It's, like, going to keep me awake. Like, it's one thing to have to get through your day, but, like, I have to drive and not fall asleep. Yeah. So I was like, I have to be able to have caffeine if I need it. So a couple days ago, I'm lying to you, yesterday. <laughs> Even if it's like taking a caffeine pill form? I haven't tried doing that way, but caffeine is also a no-no. It's not just soda. It's caffeine is a no-no. Which mm. caffeine on its own is probably better than doing soda because that's bubbly and you have caffeine. Um... But anyway, so I did a soda yesterday, and I think that was okay when I took the, I mean, it wasn't happy, but like when I took the Pepto stuff with it, but then I had some salmon later, which hasn't been a problem before, and I think that became a problem later. Excuse me, everybody. I'm going to have to let Tiger Lily out because she's, and you know what's going to happen. When I walk over to the door, she's going to run. Yep, there she goes already. Honey, you make this very difficult. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so... Anywho, so I tried a soda, and it was, like, not the end of the world. So now for this trip, I'm, like, trying to plan what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to go to Jersey Mike's, like, when they open and eat half a sandwich and then put Your the other. diet. Yeah, and then put the other half in the cooler and then um, eat that, like, halfway across and then have a soda if I need it. I, that's mm-hmm. my plan. <laughs> and we'll see how it goes. And I tried one of those little baby things of Ben and Jerry's that I had bought back when before all this <laughs> happened. Mm-hmm. And that was okay. Okay, it wasn't great, but it was. I'd prefer to just eat the way I normally eat because I just didn't feel great after it. But it wasn't like a disaster. Yeah, I didn't feel horrendous. So I definitely plan to eat ice cream while I'm there. <laughs> um, and I still haven't tested fast food. I know that's not going to go well. So yeah, I'm I'm really ready for it to be over. Anyway, and she said this thing that they think that I might have is like an autoimmune issue, and it has flares, and it can last for a long time. I'm like, it's been three fucking months, so I feel yeah. like we should be there. We should be there by now. So anyway, so yeah. Good times with no real answers and now just taking drugs to try and make things fine. But obviously they cause other problems, so good times. Anyway, but let's get into our animal-y stuff today. So, Casey, what did you want to talk about? So. Yes. <laughs> I have talked about um, the Zoological Society of London's uh, Edgeless. That's the evolutionary distinct and globally endangered um species list Mm -hmm. so i decided um i was just going through and seeing like what kinds of distinct animals we've talked about that aren't necessarily on the list and um that that i didn't catch before was in my initially thought because i went back and actually found and read to some of their uh papers that they've published and it has a link for the data um that shows as well, uh, the edge list as well as all the animals that they have assessed so far their evolutionary distinctiveness scores a bunch of other data so you're saying some of the animals we've talked about you didn't address their so they're not score? necessarily on the list but they have been assessed oh okay so they're evolutionary because basically what they did is took a lot of species and did phylogenetic analysis and there's this equation Um, that you use to determine their evolutionary distinctiveness and did this for a bunch of taxa 
but a bunch of it doesn't make the list because they're not either evolutionarily distinct enough or globally endangered enough to make it onto the official ah, edge okay. list. So anyway, I decided at first just to look at organisms that were on there and then it's like figured, oh, oh, I could look at what we've covered for animals of the week and see which ones have been assessed and then talk about those. Okay. Then I realized, found something out. Basically every single animal we've talked about has been assessed. <laughs> we don't even pick basic animals. Yeah. Look at us picking cool animals, but are, are most of them on yes, the list? Yes, but keep in mind there's literally like thousands of animals they have assessed. But are most of ours actually on their list or they've Mo just been assessed? Well, not on the edge list, but they have been assessed and determined an evolutionary distinctiveness score, which okay. is what I was interested in looking at. There is, in fact, only one animal of the week that is where, keep in mind, the lists are corals, the reptiles, amphibians, birds, and mammals, and chondrichthys. Those are sharks and rays. Okay, thank um, you. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> and so the only one that makes one of those categories and was not assessed was the spectral tarsier. Really? Yes. Hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. But a bunch of other tarsiers have been assessed. <laughs> <laughs> just not ours. Yes. So I wanted, So first off, I wanted to just state one surprise I found was with the chimeriformes was one big surprise for me because... Those are chimeras, which we've talked about once. Which one were they? That was the spotted ratfish. Oh, okay. No, I was totally off. I yeah. don't remember who I was thinking that was. <laughs> yeah. So I thought they are like this. They are sometimes viewed as a missing link between the bony fish and the cartilaginous fish. So I thought that they would probably have a more unique evolutionary history and therefore have a higher evolutionary distinctiveness. But then I found out the... Uh, median evolutionary distinctiveness for chimeras is only a little over 30 million years. And that's low for most animals? Not most animals, but specifically the category of cartilaginous fish compared to others. Okay. Yeah, I'll, because the chondrichthys median um, greater uh, evolutionary distinctiveness is greater than basically all other vertebrates with a few exceptions. Like the coelacanths, lungfish, and the ignatha, which are the hagfish and lamprey. Um, that last group has an expected evolution distinctiveness of about 60 to 70 million years. And I also found the evolutionary distinctiveness, um, the median evolutionary distinctiveness by group. And let me just say the reason they go with median, which what that is when you have two far ends of your values mm -hmm. you take basically the value that's in the middle between those yes because when you take averages and you have widely varying values that will skew um the number quite a bit okay so like you can have some one uh, just a few that have extremely high values and then it'll make the average look even higher than it actually should be okay yes so with corals, it's only 5.2 million years. Okay, yeah. so not much. No, I was surprised by that because the Cnidarians, which corals belong to, have been around for a very long time. Okay. Yeah. But the corals are also very diverse, so there's a lot of species. And then the birds, their median score is 5.8 million years. Mammals are at 7.6. The Lepidosaurs, which are the scaled reptiles, so things like... Lizards, snakes, and the Tuatara, um, they're at 11.2 million years. The crocodilians are about 16.1 million years. Amphibians 
16.4 million years. The um, test tudines, which are basically just the turtles and tortoises, have a score of 31.3 million years. Okay. Yeah. And the average for the chondrichthys is the 26.4, which is about double of nearly all the other ones. What are those again? Those are the cartilaginous fish. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I will be posting a full list on our Patreon for oh, cool. all the evolutionary distinctness scores and the animals they match up with. So I wanted to highlight the lowest and highest ones I found that we've looked at on the podcast. So for the bird, I want to start off with the lowest and for the birds, that is the greater sage grouse. Okay. As an evolutionary distinctness is only about 3.75. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And then for mammals, it's the bush dog. With, mm. At just 3.69. Okay. And for the reptiles, the least evolutionary sink was the common European adder at 6.59 million years. That makes sense. Yeah. And actually, all the squamates, which are snakes and lizards, mm-hmm. had a very low score of equal to or less than 10 million years. Okay. Except for one, which actually had pretty high score, and that was the... Um, Gila monster at over 40 million years. Oh, okay. And now on to the highest. For the birds, it was the Watson at 68 million years. Ooh, look at them. Much higher than the median value. Wow. (laughs) For the mammals, it was the dugong at 59 million years. Okay, okay. And for the amphibians, it was the Taita Hill Sicilian. Yeah, that weird thing. At about 34.2 million years. That makes years. sense. That thing's so weird. Yeah. And the for the chondrichthys, it was the large tooth sawfish at 99.29 million years, which is also the number one ranked edge species. Period. Yes. Wow, look at us choosing cool things. Mm-hmm. Yes, because sawfish are, all of them are endangered or higher, and they're a very evolutionary distinct group. They're pretty cool. Yeah, they don't have very many rel- close relatives. Okay. Now, for the overall highest and lowest. So, the lowest one was an amphibian. It was the Lake Titicaca frog. Really? Okay. Yes, at just 3.3 million years. All right. And the highest was a reptile. It was the Tuatara. I was going to say, I'm going to guess it's the Tuatara, since I didn't realize they weren't lizards or whatever. Yeah. And it's not It's not even close. What? It's 242 million years. <laughs> not even not yeah. even remotely close. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then looking at... Stop, Jason. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> she wants to review. <laughs> uh, okay. Can't, you're going to keep making noise. Stop. <laughs> Just gonna apologize for any noise that Tiger Lily makes throughout this podcast. She refused to leave when I offered her the opportunity to leave. So, continue, Casey. Yes. So then it got me thinking of outside of just because all of that's been assessed with the exception of corals, um, our vertebrates. Um, so make me think about all of all the organisms, plants, and vertebrates, everything else. What might be the most evolutionary distinct? And um, my initial thought that it was <laughs> going to be some plants because they have an evolutionary history um, 
least with the terrestrial species, the terrestrial animals greater than they originally far earlier. You mean the trees? Not necessarily trees, but plants in general. Huh. Trees took again. Plants trees in general are more distinct than the animals. Is that what you're saying? It's just the fact that plants have a more ancient evolutionary history with their origin. Okay. Yeah. But that gets a little bit complicated. Right. Also, because I'm not as familiar with plants. Mm-hmm. This True. Um, and th- so I was just thinking, I was like, it would be most likely a plant. Um, and then I was thinking about um, what plant species might it be. And then I was thinking about a reference like, the Tuatara, the reason it has such a high evolutionary distinctiveness is because it has absolutely no close relatives. Mm-hmm. It's a single species from it for an entire order of mm-hmm. organisms. Mm-hmm. So it represents all that evolutionary history on its own. So I was thinking what kind of plant would probably be a, what's called a monotypic species for either a family or order. And monotypic means there's just one species. One type, yeah. yeah. And so then I have my idea, and what I think it what is is the ginkgo. And the ginkgo is actually a yeah. Most people don't know what it is, like, but you've definitely is. seen it. Okay. I, um, it is it, it. They're a gymnosperm, and those are the naked sea plants. Those are going to be things like the conifers, pine trees, mm, okay. uh, cycads, the ones that don't have flowers or produce fruit, and they're very strange. So they belong to their whole own order as well, the ginkgo phyta. It used to be very diverse uh, millions of years ago, but now they are the only ones left. Okay. And they are also endangered, which is something I remember from my botany course. Mm -hmm. And they're very strange. And they have them at a lot of universities and as well as zoos. And they do, in fact, have them over at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park over by Condor Ridge. Those are ginkgos over there. Just the trees that are out there, or, or... there, when you're coming up from the bridge and get towards the condor, there's some ginkgos there. They have these, unlike the conifers, they don't have these like pine needle leaves. It looks like more of a regular leaf. It's a bit broader, but hmm. still kind of small. Not to point it out next time we go. Yes, and I can also tell you that those ones at the park are males. Oh, okay. Yes. Um. Ginkgos are what's called dioecious, which means there are separate sexes. And they, whenever it's at a place simply for display, it's going to be males. Because females, they, their seed has this weird growth on it. It kind of resembles a fruit, but under biological terms, it is not a fruit. Um, and the th- the seeds smell like vomit. Oh, that so, makes sense. I was like, so this doesn't sound like there's a reason to not have it unless there's a weird smell. But yeah, there we go. They there smell it is. very bad. And okay. so if you, if they're at just an institution for display, it's going to be a male's there. Okay. Yeah. And I found out through exploring the Edge website that they are indeed working on producing a Edge list for the gymnosperms. Oh, okay. Yes. And through lots and lots of digging... <laughs> I eventually found the data that they have collected, and it turns out that I was right with it being the ginkgo. There you go. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. And so the what they have, again, they haven't published an official list. They have done a study on it. I don't know why they haven't made a list yet. Um, but 
it turns out they that species represents 315 million years of unique evolutionary history. Wow. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to highlight this because I wanted to show the importance of using the scientific method because I'm not just showing off <laughs> my intelligence. Well, that's part of it. Um, <laughs> wow. Because I made the observations. Made a hypothesis. Uh, yes, then I made the <laughs> hypothesis, and then digging through the internet, I did not do the experiment, obviously. I was like, did you do the experiment <laughs> with the variables and the controlled part? Because I don't think you did that part, Casey. No, but I found their data. It's been a while since I've been through the scientific <laughs> process, but I'm pretty sure. Aren't yeah. there five steps? Seven steps. I don't even remember anymore. I should remember what that was. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, observations, yeah. hypothesis, then the experiment, um, results, and okay. you conduct conclusion, then replication. Replication. I'm like, I'm like, I know there's another one where you have to, con- you know, continue mm-hmm. the experiments. Okay. Yes. It's been a long, yes. sci- a and, long time since the scientific method for mm-hmm. me. Yes. And what I wanted to demonstrate is that what well, the great thing about the scientific method is that it can make predictions. And I wanted to ter- go broader and show that with the current pandemic. Because okay. we have been trying to implement these protocols for limiting the spread of the virus. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the predictions was that there's going to be mutations and mm-hmm, more lethal obviously. variants. And that is now what we are seeing with previously Delta and now Omicron. Right. And if things don't get under control, it will continue. Oh, yes. No. Yes. We and currently... What um, at least scientists over from Pfizer um, are predicting that it won't become what's in. So the term endemic has a different meaning when it comes to pathologies. Oh, okay. And basically that means it becomes a virus similar to like the flu where it's something you're vaccinated and you simply deal with it with a few breaks throughout the year um, and seasons. And so, but they predict it's not going to be like that until 2024. Oof. Yeah, and again, it's going to vary no, I from country travel. to country. Travel. I want to yeah. go to Germany finally. Yeah, she's going to make so much noise yes. right now. Okay. And I forgot to mention, I am. This also proves that I am completely and utterly psychotic, because <laughs> at first I could not find the Kondrichthys data. I went first off. The paper that it's publishing is behind a paywall, so I had to thankfully I get access through my institution, and so I went through all their data. <laughs> And a supplement. Stop. Stop. <laughs> She's like, what did I do? She's like, what can I find that will make the most noise in here right now? Stop. <laughs> Get away from there. Get out. Do I need to bring the water bottle in? Oh. Oh, my gosh. It's impossible. Uh, no, now what are you doing? Oh, my. I'm getting the water bottle. Okay. I'll be right back. I'm sorry. So if anyone's curious, I, yes, I know I'm talking to myself, and Allie's going to come in and acting, looking at me like I'm crazy. But I did Googling and found that I just decided that I wanted to look at what species percentage of life that we actually consider important. But now this conversation will end before it even begins because she's back. Oh, and now she's gone? <laughs> Anyway, continue. So sorry. Okay, where were we? Uh, yes, so my rabbit hole. Yes. So I tried finding the raw data. 
for how they compile the list. Okay. I went through their supplemental materials and could not find it and was losing my mind. And I went, investigating. Eventually, I found it. But that wasn't until a couple days later because <laughs> I had tried. So even though I could not find the raw data for like their evolution distinctiveness scores and things like that, I did find the file they had for, because part of phylogenetic analysis is you compile files full of phylogenetic trees. And they did have a link for downloading those. I followed it. I downloaded the file. Then I, because my experience with phylogenetics through my courses that I took in um, my upper division courses, I knew how to work the programs to make a phylogenetic tree. Okay. And so then I took it. I made a consensus tree out of it, which is basically you compile, take all the data from all those trees, and then you sample some, a select number from it. Um, and then you can make a single tree, which represents, is the hypothesis for the phylogenetic relationship. And then you do studies based off of those. And so I did that. And then, so I talked about there being an equation to determining evolution distinctiveness. So basically what that is, you can um, calibrate these time trees using dates from fossils. And so that allows you to tell you how long ev these lineages from their last ancestors were. Okay. So what you do for evolution distinctiveness calculations, you take that first one, it goes down to the first common ancestor, and that is all their evolution distinctiveness. But then you have to trace it back all the way back to all their common ancestors. Hmm. And so what you do that is what's called a fairness proportion, where because that lineage, um, they all share that ancestry. Okay. So you share that um, equally between all the species from that um, came off of that last ancestor. common ancestor. Okay. So I did that through multiple times, through multiple common ancestors, because I do not have a program to do this for me. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this Although, sounds like a lot, man. Yeah, also keep in mind, this is over a thousand taxa. <laughs> so over a thousand species. To... But I did some shortcuts to make approximations to save me my saneness, but nonetheless, I went through a lot of trouble for this. I guess so. <laughs> all... And all to find out that they actually did have it just stored somewhere else. Oh no. But I am case. proud. You did I wasn't that far off. Okay. I was pretty close to most of them. That's good. That's good. You got to practice some of your some of your schooling <laughs> outside of school. Yes. Point being is I'm insane. Mm -hmm. Most people would have just stopped. Yeah, there's no there's no way. <laughs> First of all, phylogenetics is just like way too much for me to begin with. I love it. Of course you do. You love weird things. All right. Well, is that it for the the edge? rating for the animals we've covered and you're going to post that on our patreon right yes i am perfect and that is uh that is at a level that you only have to do a dollar a month if you mm -hmm. would like to see that and other content on our patreon mm -hmm. check us out at uh patreon.com i've also did it for the bonus animals that were for our patreon supporters cool awesomeness <laughs> um all right well i'm gonna talk about um cat's making noise again uh, she hates me we're just gonna ignore her and um i'm talking about a problem i have bad news ish in taiwan so 
the um, article. I will be sharing, obviously, to our social media and to the website. If you've not checked that out yet, do so. AnimalAddictsPodcast.com. It has all of our episode guides. They usually get up within about a week of the episode airing um, with all the links of everything we talked about and pictures, if I can get them, of the animals we talked about. Anywho, so the article on this, um, the article, (laughs) the title on this article, try that again, is Toxic Cane Toads Are Invading Taiwan conservationists race to contain warty amphibians. So, more than 200 cane toads have been captured um, by researchers so far. Uh, Essentially, um, they found out about, well, I guess we can start here. So, the cane toad is, oh gosh, the name, Rinella Marina? Something like that. Let me see. It's a highly toxic species of toad native to the Americas from the central Amazon in Peru to the Rio Grande Valley in Texas. I did not know they were in Texas. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess just the Rio Grande, though. Yeah. Um, But anyway, however, the uh, species was also introduced across the globe in the 20th century to various places, including the Caribbean, Australia, and large parts of the Pacific, according to Amphibia Web. (laughs) Anyway, I think they're most well-known in Australia because they're just wreaking yeah. absolute havoc in Australia. So now Taiwan's going to have the same problem yeah. that Australia They're in does. a lot of places, just Australia's like the worst. Yeah, it's really bad. So um, anyway, they just tell you what they, how big they are and what they look like. You can see that for yourself when you look at the, um, at the article if you would like. Um, but the thing about cane toads is when they're threatened, they release a milky white toxin from their skin known as bufototoxin which oozes from glands behind their eyes and is lethal lethal to most animals so um researchers in taiwan learned of a possible cane toad invasion at a farm in a small town in taiwan's central mountain range after a local resident shared photos of a cane toad online after seeing the photo researchers from the taiwan amphibian conservation society immediately came to the farm to investigate a speedy and massive search operation is crucial when cane toads are first discovered. Lin Chunfu, an amphibian scientist at Taiwan's Endemic Species Research Institute, told French news agency AFP, they reproduce rapidly and they have no natural enemies here in Taiwan, which is the same issue they have in Australia. So basically no natural enemies, they're just going to breed like crazy and they can kill so many things. And you know how everything likes to try to eat things, so that causes a problem. Anyway, when they got to the farm, they found 27 toads in the immediate vicinity, and since then they've captured more than 200 cane toads in the area surrounding it. Um, and essentially, I'm not going to go into all of this, but they are pretty sure they came in, I think, on a store, not storage, a shipping cart or something like that. Somewhere in here, I swear, it does say how they think they got there. But um, female cane toads, just so you know, can lay up to 30,000 eggs at a time and can mate year-round. So this is why they proliferate so so quickly. Um so yeah, anyway, there's obviously more um, more information in the article. They think that a black market pet trade could have had been the reason why one escaped in the first place. But anywho, so bad news for Taiwan. They've got cane toads. Hopefully they can catch them quickly and get rid of them before it's a big problem. I don't know. What is What are the native predators to cane toads where they belong? Oh my gosh, I believe that they do have a native snake predator. They're going to have to start bringing that snake over there, and hopefully it's not going to be like the freaking python crisis in Florida. No, not the... Anywho. I'm going to find it. Okay, he's going to There is one snake I know in um, Australia that seems to be immune to their poison. That's good. Yeah. But, of course, one species most likely will not um, be, be able, able to, to get it. rid of them. Yeah. So, anywho. So, found on National Geographic. 
Um, so some predators of cane toads in their native environment are caiman, um, some snakes, birds, and even fish. Wow, gotta bring some of those fish over. Anywho, so and then they start causing problems. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So biological anyway, control gets complicated. I will link the article. You can read about it all for yourself. But anyway, now Taiwan is facing the same problem that Australia has, which you know sucks. So, but moving right along, it was my turn <laughs> to choose our favorites category, and I'm just gonna tell you, I was trying to just pick a random country, and then. That wasn't working out very well, so I just searched Asian animals, and then I saw a cute one, which is funny because it's actually Casey's choice, and I was like, oh, let's go look at Japan. Folks, Japan has some cool shit, okay? (laughs) They got real cool shit, and then I was like, who do I even choose of this? You'll very much see why I chose the one I chose because it's amazing, but Casey's is all, I almost called you Jesse. Now I'm even like totally changing your name. I actually really like the name Jesse. Actually, like, if I had a like kid, a I would name them Jesse. You kind of look like a Jesse. Anyway, so yeah. sorry. But anyway, so the category is favorite animal from Japan. And Casey, tell us what is yours? I chose the Japanese macaque. Yeah, and they're little hot tubs. Yeah. Tell us about them. Yes. So their scientific name is Macaca fuscata. That's amazing. And the Japanese macaque is endemic to Japan and is found on three of the country's four main islands. Anshu. I should have just left it at that. Not try to say the islands. Yeah. So I'll move on. (laughs) Okay. Just nothing to see here. Yeah. Uh, They live in a large variety of habitats in Japan, including subalpine, subtropical, deciduous, and evergreen forests. And it is the only species of primate native to Japan. This species distribution also makes it the world's northernmost species of primate, aside from humans. Ooh, cool. Yes. And they are sexually dimorphic, with the males being larger than the females, as is the usual case with primates. The males are about 57 centimeters long and weigh 11.3 kilograms, whereas the females are 52.3 centimeters long and weigh 8.4 kilograms. So, in the wild, the oldest recorded individual lived to be 28 years old, whereas in captivity, the oldest individual was 32. Okay. The species of macaque are opportunistic omnivores and eat a wide variety of fruit, seeds, and vegetables, as well as fungus, bird eggs, and small invertebrates. Their diet makes them an important species for dispersing seeds to maintain the health of their forest habitat. They also have a symbiotic relationship with the Sika deer as deer will eat the leaves that fall to the ground as the macaque are foraging in the treetops. Hmm, nice. Now, Allie, do you remember what specific kind of relationship that is? Oh, no. <laughs> you have asked me this before. Oh, no. It's where both parties benefit, right? Are the macaques benefiting? Oh, I guess not. I mean, they're not being hurt by it, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, nope. Short answer is nope. I don't remember what it's called. The answer is commensalism. No, I wouldn't have had that, yeah. so there we go. And that is the relationship. This is the relationship in this case because the deer is benefiting by getting food while the macaques are completely unaffected. Cool. We like those kinds of relationships. <laughs> and the actual, like, you know. Both benefit. Yeah. Yes, that's called mutualism. Mutualism, that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Yep. This species is also commonly called the snow monkeys due to the fact that because of their northern range, they are often found living in snowy environments. 
Their fur coats will change based on the season, and the coat colors will vary from gray to brown and sometimes have a mottled pattern. In the winter, they get a very thick insulating coat that helps them stay insulated during the colder months of the year. And the young macaques are also known to make snowballs and will roll them around in the snow to make them larger. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. And this behavior does not seem to have any survival purpose and appears that these monkeys do it simply to have fun. <laughs> this species displays both arboreal and terrestrial lifestyles. Females tend to spend more time moving around through the trees while males spend more time walking on the ground. And group dynamics in Japanese macaques is different from most other species of monkeys in they, that they live in matrilineal societies. Like most other social primates, there is a strong hierarchy in the troop, with the higher-ranking members benefiting more from resources available than lower-ranked members. This hierarchy is actually inherited from the mothers to their daughters, and the younger siblings will usually have a higher status than their older siblings. Whoa, that's mm -hmm. weird. It actually makes a lot of sense because younger individuals have more reproductive value because it's better to reproduce while you're younger and then you have more potential offspring because hmm. it's more difficult to live longer. So once you're an older sibling, you days numbered. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep. And it is the females that will stay in the family group, which is also called the natal troop for their entire lives. There is very little aggressive behavior displayed in this species, and they will groom each other very frequently to maintain social bonds as well as for removing external parasites. The behavior that this species is probably most famous for is taking spas. Mm -hmm. The species is obser often observed sitting in the Japan's hot thermal pools. This is one of the first species to display the passage of learned behavior from one individual to the next. Back in the 1960s, there was provisional feeding by researchers to the macaques to keep them out of the local town's orchards. Um, some food ended up in the hot springs, and a female went in to get the food. She enjoyed sitting in the hot spring, and soon um, the researchers saw young macaques joining her, and eventually it spread throughout the whole troop. That's so cute. They enjoy these pools so much that they started going into people, to people's hot tubs. So the government decided to build the monkeys their own hot springs. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> Another learned behavior um, observed in this species is washing food. One time a researcher put a sweet potato near a pool of water and the female macaque started to wash the sand off with the water rather than her hand and the behavior soon spread to the rest of her troop. Hmm, interesting. The macaque eventually um, modified this behavior and started washing the sweet potatoes in salt water rather than fresh, likely because it enhances the flavor of their food. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> the Japanese macaque is currently listed as least concerned by the IUCN red list. Population is currently stable, and the species as a whole isn't facing any major threats, but there are some locations where there is hybridization with the introduced Taiwanese macaque and rhesus macaque. Okay. I want to be able to go chill in the hot spring <laughs> with some macaques around me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, I'm happy you chose them because I like them. Yep. But my choice, when I saw this thing, I was like, what? This is happening. I chose the Japanese raccoon dog. What's that you say? We're going to learn about them. Their scientific name, telling you right now, this is going to be wrong. 
Um, Nisoterutus vivirinus. I'm just moving on. Anyway, the Japanese raccoon dog is endemic to Japan. They live in close proximity to bodies of water and live in deciduous and evergreen forests, but have also been seen around farmland and urban areas. Another even cuter common name for this species in Japan is the tanuki. Yep. What does that mean? Well, how are you saying it's cuter if we don't even know what it means? You just like tanuki? Yes, tanuki is a cute name. Okay, all right, fine. Anyway, <laughs> a cute name for a cute animal. It is a cute animal. They are a moderately, moderately sized canid, 50 to 65 centimeters long, and they weigh 8 to 10 kilograms. This species has an expected life expectancy of 3 to 8 years. Those in captivity have been known to live up to 14 years. And like other small canids, the raccoon dog is an opportunistic omnivore and feed on a variety of prey items including insects, rodents, amphibians, and eggs. They are also known to scoop fish out of streams of water. That's the raccoon part. They're not a raccoon, but still. And they will also eat some vegetation like roots, fruits, nuts, and berries, and they tend to eat more plant matter in the fall. They get the name raccoon dog because of their facial markings and the color their coat gives and the color of their coat gives a resemblance to a raccoon. Is that you or is that her? Are you making noise? What's happening? Okay. Um, however, they are not related to raccoons and are a true species of canid. They are most closely related to foxes. There is some dispute among the scientific community about whether or not the Japanese raccoon dog is its own species or simply a subspecies of the common raccoon dog. Casey here <laughs> is among those who consider the Japanese raccoon dog as its own species. This is because there is not evidence for distinct lineages between the continental populations of common raccoon, but there is a distinct genetic lineage for those in Japan based on multiple forms of genetic data. Okay. There are also morphological differences, especially in the skull between those on the mainland and in Japan. And there are even differences in the number of chromosomes... The continental raccoon dog populations have 54, while those in Japan have only 38. I feel like that's enough to say it's its own species. What yes. is she eating? I don't... Oh, God. <laughs> she finds everything. Ew, it's so drool. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, your hands are drooly yeah. now. Anyway, Tiger really yeah. being super helpful as usual. <laughs> yeah. Um, based on some studies, it seems that they live in small family units, but most sightings in the wild only involve single individuals or living in pairs. Evidence does indicate that this species is monogamous, and males will go out and hunt for food and bring food back to feed their mates. They are unique amongst canids because they are the only canid species that hibernates during the winter. What? And will fatten themselves up to get them through the cold winter months. This animal is also part of, a, of Japanese culture and superstition. It has been depicted as a shapeshifter known as the... I don't remember how to pronounce Japanese things. Bake danuki, something like that. Um, and is a creature is a creature that spreads good fortune and prosperity. Oh, yep. they're so cute. There are also depictions of it in pop culture. The best example being the Super Mario video games, in which you can wear a tanuki suit, which <laughs> gives you the way that's written. That's what that looks like, which gives um, which will make you look like a tanuki. And get the ability to fly, spin your tail, or attack enemies and turn into a statue. I didn't play that far in that, but I don't really? remember that happening. Oh my gosh. Anyway, I also didn't really have video games as a kid, so. I did. I had a problem. 
As its own species, the Japanese raccoon dog has not been assessed by the IUCN Red List, but the common raccoon dog has been classified as least concern. The species is fairly common in Japan, so it is unlikely that Japanese raccoon dog is under threat. Its cousin, the common raccoon dog, has been introduced to Europe, where it is considered a pest aw, and is listed under the list of invasive, invasive alien species of union concern. Such a long name. Okay. <laughs> anyway. But I can't wait for you to see a picture. They're so cool. When I saw them, I was like, what is that thing? And I was like, this is a canid, but it definitely kind of does look like a raccoon. It's so cool. Yeah, anyway. talked about them in my systematics class um, because... Um, because for that class, we always they always have a theme for the animal you pick as like your focal species and the group that then you do your analysis of the group they belong to. And the Tanuki was one um, example for one of cultural significance because that's what our theme was. Oh, fun. Yep. Okay. Anyway, they're super cool. That is the Japanese raccoon dog. And even though they're not really like a dog dog, at least they're still a canid, um, <laughs> Casey... Yes, Allie. What kind of car does the dog drive? I don't know a car, so I have no clue. A Ferrari. I was going <laughs> to say it, but now it makes sense. <laughs> really could be almost any mammal, but I chose the dog, so there you go. Anyway, so those are our picks, and I think they're amazing. I think they're both super adorable. Is this going to be a cute episode? This is a cute episode. It's, it's a cute episode. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> and we didn't have, like, horrendous news. Like, the cane toad situation wasn't great, but, like, it's not terrible. It's not a mass stranding or anything like that. Anyway, okay, well, that brings us to our Animal of the Week. I'm super excited because this thing is definitely unique. <laughs> and our Animal of the Week is... The Sunda Kalugo. Woo! And this was a listener's choice pick. I'm very yes. happy that this was chosen. Mm -hmm. Although, honestly, pretty much all the ones that were up there were pretty great. <laughs> but this is great. Did you Continue. choose them? I did not choose it. <laughs> I'm not the one who gets to choose. Anyway, um, go on. Tell us about them. Yes. So these guys come from the order Dermoptera, and they come from the family Cynocephalidae. Okay. Yes. And the species' scientific name is Gelioptorus variagitis. Okay. Um, it is the more widespread of the two currently recognized Kalugo species. It ranges as far north as Vietnam and Laos, and its southern reign extends to Malaysia, Singapore, and Sumatra. They are an arboreal species that live in the trees of the tropical rainforests. Little is known about the species' lifespan in the wild, but the oldest Kalugo um, have been known to live up to 17 years. Okay. Uh, this, they are about 33 to 42 centimeters long, and they have a tail that's about 17 to 27 centimeters long. Aww. And they average about 1 to 2 kilograms. Little whittles. Yes, they are. The species is strictly herbivorous and feed on a variety of plants, including fruit, flowers, leaves, as well as the nectar and sap of some plant species. As mentioned before, there are currently only two species of Kalugo recognized by scientists one characteristic that sets the species apart from its cousin the philippine kalugo is the patches of color on its fur which are suspected to aid in camouflage because they look similar to lichen that is found on the trees in the forest hmm. the species is also commonly called the sunda flying lemur yes however this is a misnomer as lemurs belong to the order primates while kalugo are in the an order all of their own known as Dermoptera. Mm -hmm. 
honestly don't see much resemblance to lemurs when Not I look at them. really, no. But they get the flying part from the fact that they have a membrane of skin known as a patagium, which extends from the head to its forelimbs, back to its hindlimbs, as well as to its tail. The Kalugos actually get the name for their order from this structure as the name Dermoptera comes from Greek and means skin wing. The patagium can be 70 centimeters across and provides a large surface area when all spread out, which makes this species excellent gliders and are among the most efficient gliding mammals. We have talked about a lot of gliders, I just realized. Yeah. Lizards and sugar gliders and these guys. Yeah. Anyway, continue on. They are capable of gliding a distance of over 100 meters wow. and decline in elevation by only 10 meters over that distance. The species also can maneuver fairly well while gliding unless there is a lot of rain or strong winds. They do require a decent amount of distance when gliding to avoid getting hurt as they experience more force while landing when they glide shorter distances. This excellent gliding ability allows it to take advantage of scattered resources in the rainforest without being exposed to predators, as might be the case if it had to travel to the forest floor to move between trees. It is important for this species to remain in the trees because due to its patagium, it is completely helpless when it's on the forest floor. Patagium? Yes. That's the skin stuff? Yes, that is the membrane. Okay, and why is it helpless when it's on the floor? Because they can't... It's cotton stuff or... Well, just imagine trying to run while you have a All membrane that. of skin between your <laughs> arms and legs. <laughs> it doesn't allow very good running of it. Okay. Another use for the patagium is seen in females as they will use the membrane like a pouch to protect her offspring and keep it warm. When they are not in this pseudo pouch, the offspring will cling to the mother's underbelly even while she is gliding. Oh! Yep. That's intense. Yes. It is because of this way in which they raise their young that the Kalugo only have one offspring at a time. That would make sense. Mm -hmm. Another way the species has adapted to dealing with predators is by being nocturnal. And during the daytime, they rest in holes in trees or hide in foliage by hanging from the tree branches. They have very large eyes in comparison to their heads, which gives them great night vision. Unlike many prey species, though, the Kalugo has forward-facing eyes, and this is because they need good binocular vision to give them good depth perception mm. when judging distances when gliding from tree to tree. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now, I did mention earlier that despite their common name, they are not lemurs, mm -mm. but they are the closest relatives of primates. Whoa. Yep. To me, they look like... A flying bat squirrel <laughs> mix type thing. You know how a flying bat. Okay. <laughs> I guess I should do the flying squirrel part first, but still. Right. They kind of look a little bit like a bat. Mm -hmm. Kind of, but not really. Yeah. They're very unique looking. They used to think they were closely related to bats at one point. Um, That's what I would think, honestly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All primates, including... <laughs> what did you do? What did you find? <sighs> stop. We have to get... Stop. We have to continue. That's very loud. What did you find? Hmm. Is it behind this? Okay, sorry. Continue. Okay. 
So, all primates, including us, are more closely related to these tree-dwelling mammals than to any other group of mammals. Okay. Scientists performed comparative DNA analysis of dozens of species and found that using these sequences to construct an evolutionary tree that the Kalugos are primates' closest relatives and branched off from our lineage around 86 million years ago. Okay. I also mentioned that currently there are only two recognized species of Kalugo, but that may eventually change with more research. A phylogenetic study published in Current Biology back in 2008 showed that three of the Sunda Kalugo subspecies may actually be three separate species. Oh. One native to the mainland Malay Asia Peninsula, one in Borneo, and one in West Java. They use mitochondrial and nuclear genes, except for the Borneo Bornean population because that wasn't available, and found that the divergent estimates for these three subspecies was greater than other sister species in other mammals of the region. And remember, uh, sister species are species in which they are each other's closest relatives. Okay. Yep. And they often look very similar to each other. Um, one example being the cladoleopard, once considered a single species, is now classified as two. Um, the cladoleopard and the Sunda cladoleopard. There were also some morphological differences between the three in skull morphology. A more recent study done, um, was published in Science Advances back in 2016 found that there were seven to eight lineages that should be recognized as evolutionary significant and poss possibly some even as separate species. Oh. So there may soon be more... Um, officially described hmm. in the coming years. Okay. The Sunda Kalugo is currently listed as least concerned by the IUCN Red List, and the population is currently in decline. Um, even though this species has shown that it can adapt to disturbed forests, one of its greatest threats is habitat loss due to deforestation, um, and this species is currently protected by national legislation, and it has protected areas set up to aid in the species' recovery, However, there are less protected areas for it in some of its frames, such as in Java. I swear she was eating something. Sorry, continue. <laughs> no, that's oh. the end. Oh, okay. Okay, good, good. Okay, great. We can end it there. Okay, so that is the Sunda, Sunda Kalugo, right? Yes. Okay, great. They're super cool. Um... I haven't honestly looked to see if I can get a picture of these yet, so hopefully I can because they're mm. really cool. Unlike the Saola, which... The terrible, that terrible. The picture's terrible. Anywho, was from the nineties. <laughs> wow, that just made you made it sound like everything from the nineties was terrible. Aren't no, nineties are you awesome. From the 90s? I'm from the nineties. <laughs> just our cameras weren't the greatest. No, no, it wasn't great. <laughs> I remember because I all my school pictures are black and white. Really? Up until um. All of mine were color. What? And even in elementary school, and I'm older than you. What the heck? No, our stuff is not black and white. I mean, it's super over um, exposed and stuff, and it's really like bright and it's not very good photo quality. I don't think because we use the little, you know, mm -hmm. the little um. Oh my god, what were those called? Disposable cameras, I yeah. guess. And then well, I'm talking about like pictures. in our yearbooks. Sorry, I should mention that. Oh no, I mean some were black and white, but a lot really? were color. I didn't have colored pictures in the like, pull out my yearbooks. yearbook until I was in the fifth grade. I don't know. We also, I went to a private school when I was little. little oh, that so explains it. I went public. Have, 
I, but we, our yearbooks were like that big. So anyway, they may have been black and white then. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, but the high school ones definitely weren't. The middle school yeah. wasn't. Anywho. All right. Well, that brings us to the challenge, and it is Casey's turn. Yes. So what are we doing today? We are playing Jeopardy. Okay. I was going to do a round of Jeopardy for you, but then I caught wind you were going to do that. So I'll be doing that in February. <laughs> so I figured two Jeopardies back to back would be kind of weird. Yeah. So anyway, I don't remember how much fake money I have for this year. We're going to have to go back and look. I don't remember how much time I give you. <laughs> I 10 minutes, I think. Okay. Oh, gosh. We, we were going to make Jeopardy better. And we haven't, obviously. I think it's 10. Also, we need to come up with a different name because it's definitely not actual Jeopardy yeah. rules and it's not even the same set. It's like Leopardy. Is this Leopardy? Leopardy. Um, I don't know. We got we to gotta come up with a better name with it. That's that's our task over our break. Um, okay. So, what are my categories before we get the timer and everything going? Yes. So, your categories are order of operations but not math. Oh, no. Okay. Top of the class. Okay. Life on the edge. Oh, God. And it's for the birds. Is this to see how much I paid attention to what you're talking about, edge of existence? Possibly. Okay. <laughs> Let's see what I've retained. Okay. All right. Um, okay. We're just going to go in order, and I think that was what? Top of the class? Was that first? First was order of operations, I'm but sorry. not math. Oh, let's get that over with. Okay. Right. Ready? Go. Order of operations, 100. There have been three orders of arthropods as animals of the week. Name one of these orders. Uh, literally, I'm not going to know any. Arthropods? Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. I don't even remember what those are. Are those the, are those the, um, that's not them, right? Is that the giant isopod? Is that an arthropod? It is an arthropod. Okay. I still don't remember what their orders are, though. So I know it's not squamata, but that's the order that's in my head. So I'm saying squamata, even though that's very much reptiles. <laughs> it is not squamata. Nope, it's not. But I don't remember what it is, so. Okay. So, um, 200 then? That was 100? Yes. Oh, come on, man. Okay, so 200, yes. Okay. There are only three orders of amphibians. Each has been an animal of the week. Name one representative from each order. Oh, God. I don't... I'm not good with orders, man. I don't remember if you said what the Titicaca frog order was when you talked about the edge thing. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what it was. You just need to name the representative so you can guess which ones are separate orders. Oh, you mean I can say... You can just say a species. Oh. But you need to make sure there's one from each order. Don't have to name the order. Oh, okay. So I have to name our animals. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the Lake Titicaca frog is one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry. Of amphibians, is that what we're doing? Yes, three orders of amphibians. The thing I can't pronounce, the the worm thing, the Tehesha Hills. I don't know why I'm trying Sicilian. to get Tahitian. Yeah, Sicilian, and the um, I feel like the golden mantilla is going to be the same as the Titicaca frog. So I would say the um. Oh, that wasn't Animal of the Week, though. Oh, is that a... Oh, no. Do I not know what that is? I don't know what that is. I'm ashamed. The axolotl? Okay. All right. You got that right. Yay. That was an effort. (laughs) Okay. There is one order of animals that has been Animal of the Week more than twice as many as any other. Which is it? I am going to... Shit. What is the one that we did that first time? Carnivora? Mm-hmm. Is it carnivora? It is a carnivora. That's my answer. <laughs> there is only one order of birds that has been animal of the week more than once. Name the order or the two species belonging to it. That's tough because we've done so many picks mm-hmm. that are birds. I don't think that's been an animal of the week. It's 
So I don't think it's the Radites. I honestly don't remember the other ones. So I guess I'm saying Radite because I don't remember the other orders. That is incorrect. And I don't know which birds are the All same. Right. So Maybe this was 15 minutes. I can't remember. There are 40 animals that are the only representative of their order as Animal of the Week. Name one of these orders. What we have forty that we have done that are the only one really? Yeah. I'm sorry. How many do I have to answer a name? Just one. Uh, Tuatara. All right. <laughs> I'll take the common name. Oh, okay. But I'm not gonna get the scientific name. The There's a few. Can... There was one I mentioned today. Oh, okay. Well, I'm. That's not happening. Okay. What next? So you have top oh, of class. Oh, sorry. Top of edge. class. Top of class. Which class of animals has been most overrepresented as animal of the week? Mammals. That is correct. Yeah. They're the cutest. Which class of animals has been most underrepresented in comparison to their composition of the global biomass? Um, my guess is that's going to be the invertebrates, like the bugs and stuff. Does invertebrate count? Is that all I need to say for that? Insects? Mm. What am I supposed to say here? You have to be more specific than invertebrate. Insects? That is correct. Okay. How many classes of animals have been animal of the week? Oh, no. Um, we've always had mammals amphibians um we just said insects invertebrates i guess is what i guess put under station i'm gonna guess i don't know this but i'm just gonna say seven that is incorrect was i close at least no. oh um there are eight classes of animals with multiple representatives for animal of the week with no repeated families name one of them I'm sorry. Say that question again. There are eight classes of animals okay. with multiple representatives for Animal of the Week. So there's multiples of that class. Of like mammal or whatever. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But with no repeated families. So a f So it wouldn't be like um, Suidae or whatever. Is that yeah. the family? Mm -hmm. So just name one of them. That's still complicated to me. Um... <laughs> So each family has only been done once. That's still confusing the bejesus out of me. I feel like, can I still say two Atara? Their family should be different too, shouldn't it? Since their order's different. Remember, I said with multiple representatives. Two Atara's, oh. by definition, is the only representative. You have about five minutes left. Oh my god. Okay, maybe it is 15 minutes. Okay. I think it's 15 minutes then. Um, I have no idea. I'm going to say the Ardwolf. That is incorrect. Okay. That was too complicated a question, dude. I have no caffeine. <laughs> okay. There is only one vertebrate animal of the week that has been the only representative of its class on the podcast. Which animal was it? Remember, this is class. Only one invertebrate. Vertebrate. Was, oh, vertebrate. Mm -hmm. That is representative of its class. Mm -hmm. Dude, this is too complicated. <laughs> also, now that we have two seasons, it's a lot harder because yeah. I'm like, oh, God, go through it. Um, it's a vertebrate. That's not that. Um, it's the only representative of its class. Yes. <sighs> Who have we done who's not like a mammal or one of the really common ones we do? Um, Keep in mind, you still have three categories. I... I don't know, so I'm just going to say they're all going to be wrong. The, everything I say is going to be wrong. I'm going to say the Sicilian thing again because... <laughs> That's not correct. No. All right. The highest scoring edge species has been an animal of the week. Which species was it? Tuatara? 
No. Wait, which one was it? Edge. So evolution distinct and globally endangered. I should know this, but obviously I'm screwing it up. I know the no, they were evolutionary distinct, but I don't think they're globally endangered. The the Baird's tapir, but I don't think they're as endangered as other things. Okay, well I'm going with that anyway because we have All two right. more categories. <laughs> what was the first animal of the week that was also on the edge list? I think that was the tapir. That is correct. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna try to let her out. Keep going. so seven. Of the 10 highest scoring edge reptiles belong to one order. Which order is it? Keep in mind, this not does not mean animals we've covered. Just the top 10 on the edge reptiles There's list. There's only one order I know for reptiles, so I'm saying squamata. That is incorrect. <laughs> there are six groups of animals that have their own edge list. Which group has the lowest median evolutionary distinctiveness score? Is that, are we counting that as mammals? Yes, mammals, amphibians, okay. that kind of so thing. So I think it's mammals. That is incorrect. What? How was I wrong about that? <laughs> there are three orders of reptiles on their edge list. Which one has the highest median ed evolutionary distinctiveness score? Once again, you I may I will have, accept common names you may have, at this point. Okay, at this point. Like, you may have said orders, but the only one I know is squamata, so that's, like, all I have to go with. Um, so I'm just, like, saying, what, snakes or something? Is that my common yeah. name? Or I'm just, like, saying, like, yeah. a specific snake? No. Okay. It, okay. Snakes. That's not correct. <laughs> okay. That was a terrible guess. Okay. It probably was, like, crocodiles or some shit like that. All right. It's for the birds? For the birds, yeah. Okay. Only one bird animal of the week is flightless. Which species was it? I do believe our animal of the week, who that fits into, is the southern Takahe. That is correct. Yay. Okay. On average, birds are not particularly evolutionary distinct. But what species was the highest scoring Watson. animal of the week? That is correct. <laughs> know that one. <laughs> okay. How many bird animals of the week have been piscivores, meaning they eat fish? Um... How many? Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. I mean, the kingfisher was. Um, they don't They don't only eat fish, though. Like, they just they mm -hmm. wish fish is one of the things they yeah. eat, right? Oh, gosh. That, I mean, It's oh, the primary thing they eat. I don't want to take the time to try to go through all of the birds we've done, so I'm just going to say four. That is incorrect. Okay. Oh, sorry. Next category. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> oh. Sorry, my butt. Clicker okay. wasn't working. Which animal of the week is also the bird species with the largest wingspan? Um, oh God, sometimes I get so confused on who was a pick and who was an animal of the week. So I think it's the... I think of the ones who've done it as animal of the week. I want to say it's the albatross, the wandering albatross. That is correct. Okay. Okay. Due to their ability to fly, many birds have large ranges. Which bird animal of the week can be found on multiple continents? Doesn't matter about subspecies? No. Okay. Um, I mean, I know that the puffins can be here and over in Europe, at least. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to go with the puffin. The Atlantic puffin. Keep in mind, I did not say only one. Oh, shit. The puffin, I think the albatross goes all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um... Oh, my God. Who are other birds? Well, it's not the Takahe. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
God, I'm trying to go through all of our bird animals. Not the sage grouse. Um, not the Watson. I feel like I'm missing somebody. There are two more. Oh, God, I'm missing multiple. Down to four minutes. Oh, God. How many more questions do I have? You have one whole category left. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, I don't think I'm ever going to get it. The Puff and the Albatross. Um, no, I don't think they're on multiple continents. I'm going with those two because I can't think of the other two. All right. That's technically incorrect. Obviously. <laughs> it's halfway right. All right. Now, just animal stuff. Okay. A tautonym was when a species generic name and species epithet are the same. Which animal of the week was the first tautonym? This is way, way back. Oh, no. Animal of the Week? Yeah. Um, so it's the same. So it's like, meaning that the species up that is the same word repeated? Yep. Okay. Fuck. I don't think it's there. Um, oh, my God. I'm trying to go back to the first year in our first few places. Um, I think this is wrong, but I'm saying the Wolverine. That is incorrect. Okay. Okay. There have been only two arachnid animal of the week. Which species was the first? That's a great question. <laughs> um, oh my god, I don't know which one was first. You would think I'd know because I had to put them up on the website, but I did that all out of order. <sighs> was it the gear or was it the diving bell? I really was getting pictures way out of order, so that's really screwing me up right now. I, I mean, it's a 50-50. I'm going to say the Bagheera Kipling Eye was first. That is correct. Yay. Which animal of the week was the first we talked about to have medical application, and what did it treat? I'm pretty sure it's going to be the Gila Monster for type 2 diabetes. That is correct. Yay. Right. Got two minutes left. Which species was the first aquatic animal of the week? Uh, aquatic, like, meaning they just go in the water at all. They Not... live primarily in the water. I'm still going to say I'm going to guess that it's the green anaconda. That is correct. Okay. Okay. Final question. Mammals have been the most common animal week, but the most diverse order has only one representative. Either name the order or the species you believe is from that order. Oh, my God. We've done so many mammals, man. <laughs> um... Oh, boy. Um, this is going to be wrong, but I must say it anyway. The Ardwolf. That is incorrect. Okay, great. This is terrible. I think I made like $500 <laughs> max. No, you definitely made more than that. Okay. Now time for... Did I? I feel like that was really bad. Your Jeopardies are way more complicated. There always has to be an easy category. <laughs> okay. Let's see. That's two. You do your crazy order category, and then you do an easy category. Anyway, while he's doing that, we finally got Tiger Lily to leave the room. So sorry about all of the disturbances. Guarantee I'm not editing all of them out, so you'll hear some of them. Because <laughs> it was a lot. Also, we hope you're having a wonderful Christmas if you mm -hmm. celebrate Christmas. Because I think this airs the day after or on Christmas or I think it right does before Christmas. After, I think right after. All right. So you got $3,100. That was so much better than yeah. I thought it was going to be. Right. So let's go over what you got wrong. All of them, basically. Okay. So for order of operations, yes. um, there have been three 
orders of arthropods as animal week. Name one of these orders. The three orders are arachnida. Those are arachnids. Okay. Insects. And for this last one, I would have accepted crustaceans, but it's malacostraca. Police. <laughs> Police. So I could have answered basically the giant isopod, like one of the spiders. Like well, you would have had to name well. like the group, like crustacean or That never would have happened. Okay, that never would have happened. Or insects. There is only one order of birds that have been animal week more than once. Name the order or two species belonging to it. The order was Galliformes. The two species from it were the rock ptarmigan and greater sage grouse. Mm, okay, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yes. And for top of the class, how many class of animals have been animal of the week? The answer is 15. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, go through those, please. <laughs> There's a lot. Yeah, but tell me what they are. So one of them um, is because we've done a f- is the lobed fin fish, the coelacanth. Oh, okay. So that's yep. different? Mm-hmm. Yes. Dude, I literally just was like mammal, bird, reptile. You have to remember, like, invertebrates is not a class. It's just a description. Um, So there's, like, for the insects, it would be hexapoda. Okay, that's not what I was considering that to be. I was literally going off of our little list that we have of, like, mammal, fish, reptile, bird, crustacean. Those are one of them, but, yeah, there's been a lot. Um, especially because most of our invertebrates were the only representative, uh, were each from a different class. Most oh, of them. Okay. Well, I'm gonna need you to go back on that list and make that a little more specific. Like, put <laughs> invertebrates slash whatever. Okay, I'll start including classes. Okay, thank you. <laughs> there are eight classes of animals with multiple representatives for animal of the week, with no repeated families. So basically, what this meant is, so let's say mammals. Yeah. Um, and we've had done multiple mammals, and let's say. We've never done two species from the same family. Okay, meaning That's, like Felidae or yeah, whatever. like we only did one from Felidae. Okay. Yeah, that was basically so. That for, was too complicated for my brain to get right yeah. now. It was like too much. Yes. So there's quite a few. Um, I wasn't expecting you to name most of, some of them. I <laughs> like Actinopterygi. Um, that's the lobe fin fish. Yeah, no, it was never to get that. Yeah, there's amphibia is one of them. Arachnida, cephalopoda, um, those are cephalopods like octopus, squid. Why was, wait, amphibia? Mm-hmm. Who was that? Those are the amphibians. No, I know, but you were saying that they were never repeated. Yeah, no repeated families. So who was the one that we did? What do you mean? I'm so confused still. So in amphibians, we've yes. done multiple amphibians. Yeah. None of them are from the same family. Okay, so you're not saying the family name right now. Yeah. You're just going through, okay. Yeah, these are the classes okay, that we Okay, okay, okay. Um, Chondrichthys, the carlagenid fish. Insects, they were all from different families. Lacostraca, those were all separate families. And Reptilia, okay. all separate families. And there is only one order of... One vertebrate animal of the week that has been only the only representative of its class on the podcast. That was the coelacanth. Mm, okay. Sarcopterygy. Sure. <laughs> That's a thing. Yep. I wasn't going to make you name that, just coelacanth. Okay. <laughs> All right. The high scoring edge species um, was the large toothed sawfish. Oh my God. You totally did just say that. Yep. I don't know why I was in like a mammal-y type headspace for that. Not even mammal, but anyway, continue. And then seven of the ten highest scoring edge reptiles belong to one order. That is the testudines or turtles. No. 
wasn't gonna remember that. You could have. I would have accepted turtles. Yeah, I, st- I still probably would not have gotten that. So there are six groups of animals that have their own edge list. Which group has the high, lowest median edge sco- evolution distinctiveness score? That is corals. Oh, yeah. That you did just say. Mm-hmm. Yep. I guess if I just, like, my brain wrapped around the scientific, like, <laughs> classifications better, mm-hmm. then it would make more sense to me. Be like, ah, mm-hmm. yes, this. Yep. And then um, there are three ores reptiles on their edge list. Which one has the highest median evolution distinctiveness score? That is also the testudines, the turtles. Mm, okay. Only, oh, you got that right. Never mind. <laughs> How many bird animals a week have been pissed for? The answer is three. Oh, okay. The wandering albatross, Atlantic puffin, and, and the, the kind. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. You should still see the ones I got right. Okay. You've gotten, there are only three orders amphibian. Each has been animal of the week. One representative for each. For, so there's a Nura. Which mm-hmm. is the Titicaca frog and the golden mantilla, Genophiona, which is a Tita Hill Sicilian. Mm-hmm. Because the edit doesn't go any further. And the last or- order is Urodella, and that's the axolotl. Okay. And then there's only there's one order of animals that has animal week more than twice as many as any other. That was Carnivora. Mm-hmm. We've done it eleven times. Wow. Yep. Eleven out of. That's math I'm not going to be able to do right now. <laughs> and 40 animals that are the only representative of their order as animal of the week. I can't remember which one you said. <laughs> but those I think inc- it was Tuatara, probably. I kept saying Tuatara over yeah. and over. Or Ardwolf, it might mm-hmm. be what I said. I don't remember. I go Cephalia is what that one's order is. But other answers would have been Coelocanthiformes, Crocodilia, Dermap. Dermoptera, Gruiformes, Isopoda, Lagomorpha, Lepidoptera, and Mantodia, to name a few. These are not things I would ever remember. <laughs> right. And which class of animals that have been overrepresented as Animal of the Week? Um, that's mammals. And the class that has been most underrepresented, that's insects. They've been Animal of the Week only four times, which is about 6% of episodes, whereas they represent about 40% of all species. I'm just going to tell you right now, it's going to stay that way, Casey. Never. We're not going to do an insect takeover. We're not. The mammals are cuter. Not all of them. There's cute insects. There are some cute insects, and that's why they get four. <laughs> four places. <laughs> also, this year we've had more, I feel like, invertebrates and stuff than we did last year so far. Yes, we did. So we're already trying to mm-hmm. make it better for you, Casey, but I'm not letting go of the cute mammals and other things. All right. All right, continue on. All right. The first animal of the week that was also on the edge list, that was the bird's tapir. You got that correct. Now, only bird animal of the week that is flightless, that is South Island Takahi. On average, birds are not evolutionary extinct, but the one with the highest score was the Watson at 68 million years of evolutionary history. Remember that from today. <laughs> Let's see. And then which animal week is also the bird species with the largest wingspan? That was the wandering albatross at greater than three and a half meters. All right. Now we're back on track. Okay. <laughs> Due to their ability to fly, many birds have large ranges. Which bird animal week can be found on multiple continents? That is the rock ptarmigan, wandering albatross, mm. Atlantic puffin, and the common kingfisher. Oh, I don't know why I didn't think of the kingfisher. <laughs> okay. Anyway. All right. Now, a tautonym is when a species' generic name and species' epithet are the same. 
which Animal Week was the first tattoonim. That was actually our first episode ever, the South American Kawadi. Really? Nasua Nasua. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yep. There have only been two arachnids. What is that term? Tatunim? Tatunim. Tatunim. Mm-hmm. Okay. There have been only two erected animal of the week. Which species was first? You got that correct. Bagheera Kipling Eye, the vegan spider. <laughs> which animal of the week was the first we talked about to have medical applications? And what did it treat? You got that correct. It was the Gila Monster, and medication was used to treat type 2 diabetes. Woo-hoo. Which species was the first aquatic animal of the week? That was indeed the green anaconda. Did you do that just to like mess with me because it's the snake that's in the water? Yes. <laughs> Great. Thank you. <laughs> Mammals have been the most common animal of the week, but the most diverse order has only one representative. Either name the order or the species you believe is from that order. That is Rodentia, the rodents. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yes, they make up about 42% of mammal species. Who was our species who was from that? The Bavarian pine vole. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, that was, that was rough. I did make more money than I thought. Oh, yeah. how much money did you say? 3100 3100 I was going to put a note in that real fast. 3100 fake dollars to Allie. That's like not even a full month's expenses living in California. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> That's rent, at least. Um, anyway. It would be my rent, too. Yeah, it's uh, okay. Anyway, well, that was better than I thought. Honestly, yeah. I really thought it was going to be like $1,000 max because that did not go well. Anyway, you have to make an easy category, Casey. They can't all be difficult. I, did, I felt like animal stuff wasn't difficult. It was you the, got most it was of that, the right? medium category. That was the medium category. <laughs> medium category. You have to have an easy one, and there okay. weren't very many easy ones. Anyway, you can have your ridiculous one as well <laughs> that we don't expect you to get anything on, but still. You got at least one from each one. That's good. Yay me. I feel proud of myself then. Okay, so 15 minutes for Jeopardy, we think. Yes. I'm wondering if it was 20 or if it was 15. We're going to have to go back and find out. we got to clean this mess up. Anyway, I realized, so this airs the day before Christmas. Christmas Christmas Eve. Eve. So I hope you're all having a great Christmas Eve and a wonderful Christmas. I hope you can eat normally since I can't. And I hope there's no drama with your pets like there will be with mine. So, um, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to episode um, 68 of the Animal Addicts podcast. As always, we're your host, Allie. And Casey. And we will catch you on the next episode of the Animal Addicts podcast. <laughs>